Welcome to Tab Storytellers. I'm Abby Pato Bay. This is a podcast about Tab, that is Teaching for Artistic Behaviors. This is an art education, pedagogy, philosophy, movement organization where we center the child as the artist, the classroom as the studio, and we explore what do artists do. And I'm here with my co-host. Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Ferrari. Thank you so much for joining us for Tab Storytellers. This podcast was established to promote dialogue among art teachers who seek best practices in contemporary art education and to advocate for TAB pedagogy and practice. This podcast, which we lovingly refer to as a TABcast, is published once a month and is a place to share our TAB stories with one another. These stories can come from TAB educators, administrators, community members, researchers, and many more sources. From how we found TAB, which we'll talk a little bit about tonight, to implementation in the classroom, to advocacy for your program, to dispelling myths about TAB practice, we cover everything. For more information, after this TABcast, you can navigate to teachingforartisticbehavior.org, and there you'll find information, inspiration, and incredibly helpful items such as teacher-created resources and access to an online community of TAB educators called Mighty Networks. So I'm really very excited about tonight's guest, who I just met moments ago, and I am looking forward to chatting more with. So Abby, I'm going to hand it back to you. Um, so I did not just meet our guest tonight. We've actually been friends for a while. And I'd like to introduce Parker Wolverton, who is a elementary art educator in the district that I work in. Um, he actually, his school's actually not that far from mine. Um, and we're super excited to have Parker on because um, he has recently discovered tab and choice-based, and he's been studying it for a while, but has decided to kind of jump in a little bit. Um, and so we just kind of like, while it's fresh, we know there are a lot of people who are also in the same boat that Parker is and um, super enthusiastic and, but also with questions. And so we thought it'd be a great way to kick off our second season. So welcome Parker to our show. Yes, welcome. So Glad to be here. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about what you do now and where you're working. Yeah, so like you said, I teach just down the street at a, a K-5 elementary school. Um, uh, yeah, teaching just, I don't know, art education. <laughs> um, sorry, how, like, So I, No, it's all good. Um, <laughs> how many, how, for our listeners, how many years have you been teaching art education total? So what year is this for you, finishing up? Yeah, so this is my third year. Uh, finishing up um, started during the pandemic so that was wild um, uh, luckily I, I missed the portion of being online and then went right into being on a cart and like everyone masked so it was pretty crazy the first year <laughs> and like a little bit second, so <laughs> it took me a while to recognize kids again there's still a couple kids that I see I'm like oh no I know you <laughs> I have to put my hand in front of their face just like see either only their eyes and I'm like oh no I remember you um that's so, so interesting so I I started I'd been teaching for a little while before but then I started again at the same time as you at the same grade level so I was a high school teacher before hmm. but now I do elementary and I started the exact same time I started on the cart after schools had closed I didn't realize that's when you went back Jim that's too funny um <laughs> that's wild um, so Parker, tell us your tab story. Like, how did you find tab? What do you, what, what do you know? What, what's up? 
Yeah. So my tab story, I feel like is the convoluted because I we, heard a little like bit that. about it like in college. Um, one of like my peers who was like a few years ahead of me, um, they had done like some tab research. Um, but I didn't really look too much into it. And as I've been reflecting, I realized like a bunch of my like research was like looking at Olivia Goudet's articles and like authentic assessment. And like when it was all theory, I didn't necessarily understand what that all looked like in practice. Um, and I was a bit daunted by teaching elementary. Like I never thought I would be in this position until um, student teaching and so my student taught the educator I worked with was like awesome with like classroom management and like there was never really um, any issues and she had like huge class sizes um, which is pretty standard for like Minnesota um, and so I was like oh I can do this like after seeing her teach but I was very like teacher directed um, and I was like okay like this kind of just like felt like the norm because I felt like I could have success in that and so I kind of took on that style. Um, and yeah, so now been teaching, you know, now into my third year or finishing up my third year, I'm realizing there's like pros and cons to, you know, the different pedagogies and seeing and like reflecting on, oh yeah, like I did do some research and was interested in like authentic assessment and portfolio-based assessment, um, but didn't really know what that looked like in the classroom. And then I'm running into just some issues where I wanna see more, I guess see all students succeed in the classroom and finding that I'm having certain students, whether they're in like the PLS program, um, which is like a version of like um, SPED um, or just like students who like aren't engaged and need something different. Um, and so I've been trying to mix things up and so kind of got reinvigorated at NAEA <clears throat> this year. Saw a lot of like sessions on um, TAB and like authentic um, student like choice in the classroom um, and like being change makers and like all of this stuff, you know? And so um, I think NAEA really kind of like pushed me more um, as well as the conversations with like you and um, Jen Smith um, talking about just like the choice and kind of slowly easing my way into that choice. Um, uh, it's not pendulum, but like, was that the <laughs> continuum. continuum? Continuum, yeah. Yeah, choice continuum. So um, I've just kind of been like dipping my toes. And then since NAEA, I kind of was like, you know what? Um, I'm just going to like try this with fifth grade. Um, I think it was Jason Blair who had this presentation on like just authentic student voice in the classroom and providing space for students to like actually like say what they need um, and get the most out of like the art room. Um, and so coming back, I was like, you know, fifth grade, like I'm gonna sit down, we're gonna just like have a conversation about like, what do they want from the end of the year? And I feel like that kind of turned my room into a 
tab room like overnight because now all of a sudden like I have like a clay and painting and drawing and fiber arts like stations just like out of nowhere um and like kids are bringing stuff into the room um like I've had kids drop by like before school like hey can like this is for my project can stay in here I'm like sure so like I have like this growing like mound of stuff that kids are just bringing and I'm like wow this is like everything I've ever wanted so <laughs> yeah kind of accidentally became a tab teacher like with fifth grade just like fully like choice based and what they've come up with has been really inspiring um because i have one class who wanted to do like a collaborative mural but like they also were thinking about different like community members and we're thinking about like their teacher and how to do something that like um honors her and like I don't know like is something like kind and like a surprise for her and so they've been like doing research on like their teachers like interest while like other classes are like totally like like studio based like each student is doing something different or I have like collaborative pairs so like there's like this pair of students doing like origami and they want to like make so many like origami animals and like explore that so I don't know it's been really exciting seeing students who I didn't think would be as engaged like really like just like thriving so so now i'm curious just before we go on to another question having done this not quickly but having had this change happen mm -hmm. can you describe the the change in the students mm -hmm. a little bit more for me because for me there was a huge mm -hmm. like there was a five-year gap between and an, and an age gap between mm -hmm. high school project-based and tab elementary. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm curious to hear from your perspective what you notice going from the same kids, but mm -hmm. from one thing to the other in that short time span. Yeah, like students who maybe weren't as engaged, like, I don't know, I had one student who's just like always wanting to draw anime. And like, I was like, okay, like, let's see what happens. And surprisingly, like they did choose to just draw anime. Like they were wanting to experiment with different stuff and like they were much more engaged in the classroom um, so far. Um, and some students who were maybe like, well, like just got bored easily are now like students who are bringing stuff to my room um and like looking forward to and like are like planning ahead they're like which days like, do we have art like which days are we going to the museum are we sure we have to go to the museum because i need to get this done so uh, i mean that's been a shift um some students i think aren't sure of like how to handle all the choice um and so it's been like like they've kind of been popping around trying different things um not really landing on something yet um but again it's just mostly with fifth grade i've kind of explored more with like kinder and first grade as well um and fourth grade we're doing more like choice and like i guess on the continuum of choice but not full like full choice um so some of the students are like I don't know, kind of going crazy about like they want to do all the things that like yesterday in first grade they like used 
all the toilet paper rolls. Um, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do about that. Cause like, I was like, okay, yeah, this is gonna like last a while. And then we had like one day of like, hey, like here's a bunch of new materials you have not used yet. And then they were all gone, um, like instantly. And so I was like, okay, I wasn't ready for that. And I realized like some of the students need to need more supports and like sharing things. Like I had put out two hot glue guns and realized like I probably need like 10 hot glue guns. Like if I'm going to <laughs> do it like day one, um, cause sharing wasn't a thing, but I don't know. It was, I think the, I think the main change was just like the engagement level and like also like the like kids liked art like it wasn't like there was anything wrong before per se like like they liked coming to class what we were doing but i've just seen maybe the students who maybe didn't see themselves as artists or like enjoying the class like maybe a little bit more engaged i don't know if that answers I feel like that's just kind of went roundabout. No, absolutely. I was just I was just curious to hear from another person's perspective because my my experience was very different than many other people. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. So what have you found most exciting so far? Ooh. Um, I mean, I like that students are like thinking about art outside of class like it's become like um more than like it's extending beyond my room so like that they're wanting to bring supplies in from home or like they're thinking about their community or people like other teachers in the building or other like classmates even um so i thought that's been really um exciting um i also like like i've just been feeling that I don't know, like how I've been teaching, like I'm just having them like make my ideas. Um, and so it's been cool, like them like struggling to figure out what their ideas are and like maybe not even like struggling cause like I think they know, um, but having like that freedom for them to like truly explore that, I don't know. It's been, it's been a nice shift. Sometimes I found like when I was like shifting into more choice and maybe still because I'm still a fairly modified choice based on my context and things um, that sometimes it's not so much that the kids aren't there it's that I'm hesitant as the teacher <laughs> to let them go there and like <laughs> I have had to do a lot of soul searching as the teacher um, even now I'm like I had some like wool fleeces donated. I was like, oh my God, what if they use all the wool at once? And I was like, this, I have enough wool right now to cover four tables. Like they are not going through this much wool at once. But there's like part of me that still has like a hoarding, like I can't put the good stuff out. And I think sometimes like all the toilet paper rolls are gone. And then there's like the whole like, oh, well then we just have more different stuff. And you're just gonna, I mean, sometimes limited materials are what makes artists take a new direction. But there's still that, mm -hmm. like, oh, what if I put it out and they ruin it, or they go through it, or we don't have enough, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's all of these, like, little things that just sit at the back of my mind and go, uh, uh, uh. and I, I still find that after years of doing this, that it's just 
sometimes it's not so much them that isn't ready for it it's me that's not ready for it so see it's interesting because as soon parker as you mentioned the toilet paper tubes that that's a universal thing with all kids everywhere and i mean mine obviously love using them as well and i was very lucky um i i always put out to our community like the parent community the the larger community to give donations anytime like if you have something drop it at the school i'll take all that stuff but the other thing i've done is that to try to make it fair because i see my kids once a week for 45 minutes and there's about 600 kids in the school i always want to try to make sure that everyone has equal access to try the things so what I've done is I've put limits on stuff. So you can take like two or three of this, or if there's a lot of something, five of the, whatever, because, you know, as Abby was saying, you can't impose limits because artists do work within limits. So I think that's an okay thing to do. Um, but that's how I've tried to combat that problem. And, you know, kids forget because it's just what happens but um they do actually take note of it and i think that's part of working in a collaborative space and working in a studio with other people so i think you're teaching those you know skills and behaviors that you were talking about um even when you're doing those things so i wouldn't i would and also it's totally okay to um be uncomfortable with stuff and to like not do some things I personally think because I have a huge I'm a very organized person she's very she's Abby, very organized as Abby could tell you as I as and, um, organized as I am she is extra organized but I share that because for me it's very hard for my room to be chaotic because I have to I I I struggle with chaos so for me um it's something I battle every day I have to talk myself down and be like it's okay it's all right there's stuff everywhere it's going to be fine because I've taught them all those procedures and things about mm -hmm. caring for the space and developing their craft and working in that so it is a process it it like continues it never I think mm -hmm. goes away it's one of those things that stays with you but yeah <laughs> yeah that, that's good to hear that like you can still maintain some sense of order because having a clean space has been nice like I don't I don't know for myself personally like function well in like a chaotic environment and so it's nice to know that there's like ways of like organizing and setting up the space mm -hmm. and then also teaching those procedures to support students with like maintaining that and I think and it takes time thing. but yeah and it I mean, yeah. Ronnie, Ronnie Rohr, she's down in um, Santa Fe. And um, at some point, I hope you meet her, Parker, because she's a phenomenal human. Um, but when she talks about her role as the teacher in the classroom doing TAB, she really talks about it as a studio designer, because every mm -hmm. year that she teaches TAB, she is tweaking the center layout. She's tweaking where things are. She's working with students to ask them what would serve them better. And it's a constant interchange between what the students feel like they need and what she like identifies as like like snags i don't know i was at a hotel one time and they put all of the condiments for the waffle maker in the corner next to between like where you pour the batter and the waffle makers so at no point was anybody able to get to what they needed and if you just observed it for like five minutes you're like this is so ineffective they have these big islands they don't put the stuff on it and I think that's kind of the role sometimes is the teacher just being like, where is stuff really ineffective and inaccessible? And where can we put it that would make it more accessible 
and more effective for more people to be engaging with it without getting hung up literally on the other people. In my room, I call them pinch points. It's like, where does it feel like we're pinched for space and the thing and how can we alleviate that? And sometimes my students have great ideas and sometimes I just make executive decisions. So, um, so what struggles have you been facing? Like, it seems <laughs> like that's a natural segue. Yes. Yeah. I, I want to go into that question. Oh. I, I had a thought of like, just going, cycling back to the question of like, what have you been drawing so far? I think yeah. also just adding to that, um, students as collaborators and not feeling so much as like the role is like, I'm handing you knowledge or like the learning like that we're working together and that like I feel like I'm I don't know my students have more voice that like I can feel like I can learn from them also and that I don't have to be like the sole source of like okay here's the idea this is what we're doing um like I don't know I've been enjoying that they have so many ideas and that they're also like wanting to make really cool things and so it's almost like we're collaborating instead of it just being one-sided mm. so just wanted to add that while i thought of it because my brain's very noodly so i'll be all over the place um yeah no i love I, that part of it too we've mm -hmm. had this conversation before on storytellers with other people mm -hmm. about how i personally feel like the traditional method of like teacher directed giving projects and such is very like you're kind of like gatekeeping the knowledge mm -hmm. where there's there's not everyone has a knowledge that they can share especially when it comes to making art um and especially since we all had a quite a exposure to technology in the last few years i mean you can learn anything now on the internet so sometimes my kids will come and share things with me and i'm like what you could do that and it's awesome that we can share that together and i'm not the sole voice of reason knowledge intelligence like that empowers them so i agree with you i completely i'm glad you brought it up thanks you know i think it's it's important i think sometimes like having done this i mean i was thinking about how long i've done tab now i think it's like 12 years um I forget what it's like to be enthusiastic about some of the things that I take for take it like just take for granted now. And so mm. it's fun seeing you um, for people who like I said this to Jen when we got on, but like Parker's one of my best friends in my town and Jen's one of my best friends, um, even though we're across the country. And so it's kind of like some of my friends get to meet each other. But also, I you know, like I get messages and texts from Parker during the week, excited about what's happening in his classroom. And it's that enthusiasm that I know I've had, um, but it reminds me again of why I do and why I love what I do. So, yeah, thanks, Parker, for being so new and enthusiastic. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> um, so I know that one of the text messages that came through, I'm pretty sure it's been kind of a hectic week, was related to storage. Is that one of those ones oh. where it's like, what do you do with all the stuff? Yes. Yeah, I think, yeah, diving into that. Uh, what There's so much stuff. Like, there are so many, like, projects. And I'm like, oh, I did not, I didn't plan it out at all. Like, I was just kind of like, I'm realizing that I'm really good with, like, the idea, like, the initial idea. Like, yes, this sounds great. Like, 
get really excited about the idea. The planning portion um, is not my strong suit. So I totally just like negated the fact that like kids need to put stuff somewhere. And all of a sudden now I have like students in almost every grade level who has like 3D works. And I'm like, where does this go? And so my counters, my office, um, I've just kind of been like shrugging uh, at the custodians being like, I don't, I don't even know what to say right now because like every surface is covered. Um, and I have a plan for next year. Um, but yeah, like right now I'm like, I am swimming in sculptural projects and little bits and pieces of everything floating around from like plaster projects to like clay to like, I don't know, like paper sculptures. We have like paper, um, like, what are they called? <laughs> what are words? Okay, I totally lost words, but like almost like Don't a paper container, a shrine, there we go. Paper shrines, just like littering the counters. I'm like, this is my life now. One year, no, a couple of years. I, I used to have this wild ceiling um, with it didn't have tiles, but I, so I hung strings from pipes that were crisscrossing my ceiling. And because I'm like a like five, I was, I was five, seven. Um, now I'm shorter, but I hung all of these things. So like, if I put my hands up, I could, I could reach like clips and paper clips and stuff. And so I would, I could hang everything in my classroom. So it was just above my head level. And cause I taught elementary at the time I could walk through the classroom, no problem. And the kids were all shorter than I was. But every time my administrator walked in, he inevitably hit his head on like every piece of artwork in my room. But I went over my head with a lot of the storage where it would just hung free in the air because that was like literally the only storage I had left in my classroom. And I had a big classroom, but I mean, we had all sorts of things. Like if it was three-dimensional sculptural, we hung it from like three different strings. But I think we had like, I don't know, at one point I had like 150 strings with paper clips hanging from my ceiling drove my custodians and maybe the fire marshal mad <laughs> oh my goodness that's wow Jen's, i never thought Jen's of like rubbing her storage. <laughs> i never that's... considered see here's the problem with my room so this is where you need to everyone in is in a different situation so you have to consider your situation but for me both art rooms i've ever been in have really 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 high ceilings like tall ceilings so there is no aerial storage. You can't use it. And then my room also has a beautiful wall of windows and a wall of like sink and sort of open cabinets, but there's no storage for projects on any of it because the front and the back of the room are like boards for different things. So for me, with my 600 kids, I have... Um, this is the only good thing about the pandemic is a whole bunch of rolling carts came out from anywhere. So I have one of those old media carts that I do fifth grade sculptural storage on. And then third and fourth, unfortunately, I have to kind of cram them into the only one storage area that I do have. So I have like one shelf for Monday, one shelf for Tuesday, and it's not pretty, but it works. And the kids that really, really, really are like, I don't want anybody touching my stuff. I don't want to get damaged. I've kind of worked it out where like some of the classroom teachers take some and they store them on like windowsills or whatever. And some kids bring them home every week and then bring them back. 
And that's how I know that my program is working because they care enough that they want to do that because that's a lot of work for a kid to like bring home something on the bus or, you know, to, to figure out how to, where to, how to get it. Like one kid made an Ikea, like a, it was in a big WB Mason box ish size thing. And he brought it back and forth multiple times to work on it for the art show. So, I mean, where there's a will, there's a way, I guess, but it, every, for, it's different for everybody. Um, but I love listening to all the creative ways to store things. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think I'm pretty fortunate with my space setup. Um, and I just commandeered, they used to have a sign storage right next to like, it's the doors within my classroom. So I had like two doors. Um, one goes into science storage and one goes into like my office. Um, but they haven't used the science storage in like three years. So I, I just told my principal this morning, I was like, so that's now the three-dimensional storage next year. And it's like amazing. Cause like, there's like tons of counters and cabinets. Everything's like empty out, like cleared out. Um, I mean, other that's than great. the stuff I've thrown in there. And so I'm like, yes, like gonna label everything. There's even some like metal racks. So I'm gonna use that for like clay work so they can like okay. dry nicely. And so I think that's the plan for next year. Um, but I heard someone at like NAEA saying they used like uh, those rolling like bread trays um mm -hmm. and just like storing stuff on there and then they could like move it into their classroom and then move it into the hallway so i thought that was a good idea but um just co they cost so much so i'm trying to just find ways of using the space smarter and i don't know using what i have so i think that's going yeah. to be the plan. now that i have middle schoolers um they'll come to me and be like where can i put this and i'm like this room good luck and i just said put it somewhere you think people aren't gonna mess with it um they're like well can i put it on your desk and i was like no no that's actually the one place that's gonna absolutely get lost and damaged is if you leave it with me i will one forget that i have it and two somebody will do something to it and so like sometimes like for the most part they remember where they put stuff but if like they get distracted or they forgot they ever made it um I have some really weird things that I find at the end of the year, they got tucked away into really strange places. And so sometimes that's, <laughs> it'll bite you both ways. But I don't know, I think storage is always something that, especially three-dimensionally, as kids get more into exploring three-dimensional, it gets to be more exciting. Mm -hmm. Create, you know, storage gets, one for a while I had a just a copy paper box under a, bank of tables and like each class had a box on the floor under a table and it was like anything that overflowed any other space just got put in there um and so it was like you just had to be very careful about how things went in but it was just like on the floor under a table storage so kind of wild do you have other struggles other than the one <laughs> yeah um i think kindergarten was a bit like tricky um i want to hear your thoughts because i i guess it would make sense because they've gotten used to like my routines and like coming to class and like we're going to do this project or whatever and everything's kind of like set out um so i found that like sharing was a big struggle um and we had to just like i had to remove the hot glue guns it's like okay no one's using hot glue guns i know you've used it at home 
and like had one kid in tears and then like some students needed more time and some students needed like like to work on other things and so it was just like kind of a hot mess because I realized like I didn't have those routines in place for students and also realizing like oh, okay like this is gonna be awesome next year when like okay you come to my classroom and like like you will have more time and you can there's a space for you to put this thing that you're working on and you need extended like play and discovery with that um but for right now I'm like I don't know where to put this thing because also like I've stored stuff in the past and like kindergartners will like forget it and so then I have like this random like two popsicles that were like glued together and then got stuck somewhere and then I'm like do I throw it away do I keep it do I tell the kid so I think that was um I don't know it was difficult but also like I can see that like it can be successful it's just like I don't have those routines in place um I think also like starting it at the end of the year I'm realizing like like some of the kids like okay they did their thing they wanted to do and they thought it was going to take so much time but then all of a sudden it like took them like one class period and now they have like three days left and they're not sure what to do and so I don't know and again I think that's all just like with the routines and behaviors like that have already been set in place and like normalized they're just not used to so much freedom so yeah oh yeah. no that's what i'm seeing so far i go ahead abby i was just say for for listeners and i think i mentioned to you Anne bedrick um, wrote a book of choice without chaos and it's an ebook and specifically in there she addresses kindergarten um, and so that was the one age group that she did a little bit differently, where um, she had realized that part of what happened was that they just, they did not have enough time to be able to manage getting materials and bringing them back, um, at least at the beginning of the year. And so she had like table trays that had like a variety of things for them to use. And then if there are things they needed beyond that, she would help them find it and stuff. But like the basic stuff that they usually wanted, like glue and scissors and colors and pencils, like the stuff that they are gonna get all the time anyways, she would just have those ready for them when they came in. And that kindergarten was the only group she did that for. Um, and so that was one of those like hacks that she had as part of that. But for people who are struggling with some of those kind of um, contexts, that book, Choice Without Chaos, is um, a really great resource. So, I don't teach kinder anymore. I mean, I have some thoughts on it, but Jen, what do you think? Well, I am, I never taught kindergarten. I've done high school and three to five, but I do oh. have a kindergartner at home and I have a second grader. So I've been through it a couple of times, you know, just as a parent. Um, Personally, as the parent of a kindergartner, structure and routine is very important, as you've mentioned. So when you're doing this in the future, like next year, and approaching it, establishing all of those things are very important. But I found that, I mean, we talk about kindergarten needing that, but really, I mean, I have third, fourth, and fifth grade right now at the end of the Middle year school. who need to be continually reminded about 
the structure of the class because my my tab class is structured in a way where you know you start with like the teacher time at the beginning and then there's open studio and then you do the cleanup and then the share at the end but I have to remind them about all the things we do in those times mm -hmm. and it's hard especially as you know the year shifts and you know vacations come and then they go and then the end of the year comes and then it's their art show season so I mean mm -hmm. they have to continually constantly be reminded of those things and I think they appreciate it too because there was one time I had asked my I think it was my third graders because my third graders this year have needed the most structure of any grade that I've taught so far I think it has to do with the pandemic because they were kindergartners when mm -hmm. they had to go home in 2020 but um I asked them once I said would you like reminders for like what we're supposed to do during cleanup and it was like the majority of kids were like yes please because they had forgotten even though we'd been doing it all year so I think that you can never have enough routine for kids I think they thrive in it and you might feel like you're being very like blah, 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 blah. But I really do think that like some things like that where that's consistent are really important for them to be able to function, you know, in the space. It was mm. interesting. Um, so Kathy Douglas, who founded TAB, um, she was teaching sometimes. I mean, usually like between six and 900 kids at a time in an elementary. And so, you know, it's one of those things where I think Tab does have sometimes a reputation of this, like, anything goes, laissez-faire, do whatever you want, kids. Um, and really, like, that can't, I mean, that's not something that actually occurs. Like, there's a lot of structure mm -hmm. that goes into a successful tab classroom. Um, and so part of it is, you know, listening to Kathy talk about her class, um, as we talked before, is that she, she really was rigid with the way things were happening you know, that the system and the routines in the classroom were really well-defined. And, you know, I heard menus for a long time in TAB. Um, people like, oh yeah, I have menus. Um, and I think that there are, I think sometimes I think of a menu like, oh, all these options. Um, and when I, when I was doing my research for my dissertation and like really digging into some of the history, I listened, like I was re-listening to one of Kathy's explanations of menus and she talked about it in relationship to the paint centers where it was just the steps of what you needed to do in what order to make sure that you got everything out that you needed and kind of put everything away that you needed. But she had like laminated cards where kids would be like, it's a checklist essentially of what you're going to do. And so like word menu is used. And I was thinking all of these different ways, like bingo card, like this is all the things you could do, but uh, it was also for like a lot of routine and building and like visual things. Um, but also, I mean, I taught kindergarten for 12 years, 14, I taught kindergarten for 14 years. Um, they're kind of wild and it is a lot about structure, but also um, the thing I love about kindergarten, I would say more than anything else, is that they're pre-written language especially at the beginning of the year. Mm. So before they learn how to write, they think in stories and they think in pictures. And I've always found like um, kindergartens, especially at the beginning of the year, sometimes you'll sit next to them and you watch them scribble. And if you're sitting there, they will narrate the scribble for you and it's a story. 
Mm-hmm. And, but they keep layering it and they keep layering it. And you're like, but the story was so good if you stopped right there, but they have to keep telling the story. It's not like it's, it's an active piece of artwork. And if you sit there long enough, they've covered most of the page because they stacked the story vertically on top of itself. Um, and so once you teach them how to ex- like just get a new piece of paper for the next part of the story, you know, or like that whole comic book idea of like moving things into different panes, suddenly the story becomes really long. And I would have kids like tape papers together because the story kept going in, in their head. It was all connected. And I loved, I love, love, love that about kindergarten. But um, it is really hard. And so it's kind of one of those things like figuring out how do you mix routines? And I think sometimes when you, your scaffolding choice for kindergarten, especially if it's new, um, sometimes it's just, it's okay to be like, okay, here's three choices, you know, I'm going to, you know, here are the boundaries of the idea. What can you make with these things inside of this idea? And then slowly releasing them into more choice. Because, mm. I mean, I I crashed and burned. I gave all my kids all the cabinets. I like, came back, excited about tab, and just opened everything. And it took me, like, three years to regain that chaos that I had, like, let loose. So, yeah, it's, you're doing great. These are things we all have struggled with. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm slowly easing into it. Um, and I, I've been like playing around trying on different things to see like what fits, just kind of like the semester um, after, you know, just reflecting and seeing like a need. Um, and I try to lessen from like the National Gallery of Art. Um, where they have like a, this lesson on like Monet's garden and there was like a book um, and then the materials they could use were like up to them. Um, of course, it was kind of like limited to like our drawing materials, um, but I, I felt like it was really successful in the sense of like, we started with something familiar, like a book, and then they had time to like share about it and connect it to an artwork. Um, and then from that, like, got to think about, like, what is a garden and, like, what type of garden would they want to make and, like, relate it back to their lives. And so I s- saw, like, a student who, like, folded a piece of paper and, like, created the stadium. Um, and I was like, I'm not sure how this is, like, a garden. Um, but he totally, like, connected to his life because he loves sports and watching, like, sports with his family. Um, so I made the stadium and the grass was all green, but then he took oil pastel and like colored over the grass with like flowers and made this like whole like rainbow over the top of it. And then like wanted to like make it stand up. So he collaborated with another student to like help it stand. And so I felt like there was enough like choice there for them to still like choose like how that product ended up. And like we have 3D and 2D, even though like the materials were limited um but I I appreciate like the structure of that lesson where like like starting with a book or story like just felt like I don't know it feels more successful and like kids can like um latch onto that easier um and then connecting it with like art history and then letting them kind of go and I don't know I I really liked that like layout and I want to play with that more um but also with like introducing choice of like materials or um, mm. content and whatnot. I, uh, I think that's, oh. Oh, I was just gonna Go say ahead. like that, there was a continuum of choice um, 
that I was introduced to originally with Tom Burkle in Colorado Springs created this one where um, there's different people, like there's like different categories of choices, who's making what choice. And so I'm saying like one continuum of choice with teacher directed, student directed. There's like, you know, purpose of, you know, material, elements and principles of design. You have like seven categories of different components of an art making experience. And like there would be different, you'd be in a different place on the continuum for each one of these categories. And it helped me realize that I didn't have to be full choice on all of those. I didn't even have to be like, I mean, there were still some of those like some, and he would be like, you know, he's like, so they're out of these seven. He's like, I feel really comfortable. Like I really feel successful when I'm teacher directed one of these things. So I'm giving them parameters around one of these and they have, you know, space in the other six. And I felt, I was like, oh, I feel comfortable when I, have control of like three of these things and they have control of the other four and they so again i'm more in the modified choice space but it gave me this realization that like it's not like just teacher directed or student directed but there's these different components of how all of this comes together and it can be fluid depending on the students depending on the context there's some really it was just it was a nice way for me to realize that we talk about scaffolding our students in choice, but we can also scaffold ourselves into more choice just by being aware of what parts of things we feel, you know, like it, this is a gradual release. People don't become a tab teacher or a full choice teacher necessarily overnight. It takes time to develop and decide what's working for me, what's not working for me, what's working for me now as I get going kind of thing. Jen, you were gonna say? Uh, well, just to add on to what you were just saying, it also is like what's working for the students, what's not working for them. I mean, you kind of have to think about everybody in that educational community. Um, but the, just to kind of go off of what you were talking about, uh, Parker, um, your story about the garden, the book, um, as soon as you started talking about a student who made a stadium, I, my mind immediately went, because I live near Boston, to the Boston Garden, which is now TD Garden, which is an arena where they play hockey, basketball. So, I mean, for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, that makes total sense that he could go in that direction or they could go in that direction. But it's I thought it was very, um, well, tab-like of you, but also just it was good that you gave the student the space to explore that because they were interested in it. I mean, just because you start with an idea of something where the kids can have choice doesn't mean you can't give them more choice if they require it, you know? Um, and, but again, like Abby was saying, I think that's something that you assess as you move forward, um, you know, what your needs are, your kids' needs administratively, like what they're expecting. You know, there's a lot of, of players in the game so you kind of have to keep that in mind when you're doing this but yeah and i had a thought also about uh abby you were talking about how tab has been seen or it maybe is still seen in some senses like as uh, the laissez-faire version of art education where the teacher just kind of lets the kids go i think that when a lot of people come to tab they might even see it that way at first and that's how they might try to explore it but then they quickly realize oh this isn't going to work unless i have some structure and some method that i'm going to work in 
And we've talked before on this podcast about how we, I think people have been like calling it backloading or like you, you, you have to set yourself up and your kids up for success. So there's all this work. Front is it front loading? Thank you. Front loading. It's like um, it's nine thirty at night here, so it's the end of my day. Um, so yeah, you have to give them all of those things, and you have to plan for it ahead of time, in order for it to be successful and to work. So when people come in and they see kids directing their own learning, and they see this the teacher um, observing, maybe commenting here or there but then just asking questions more than telling them what to do. I think people see that as, well, why? But you've already done the majority of that work to set them up for success. So that's where like the education and like the advocacy part is really important. So that will come also advocating for what it is you do, but it is important to keep that in mind, I think too, as you move forward, because um, that was one of the things we were, wanted to ask you about too was what your plans are with your experiments this year like how you want to move forward into the new year next year yeah um i don't know i have a bunch of ideas i feel like i'm still like in that like research phase um and thankfully abby just like dropped off all of the bucks um i I actually went on like the tab tab sign i was like oh okay i can like start looking at these and then we like met up for our like book club and Abby was just like, here you go. Here's like literally all of them on the tap website. Um, if you need anything else, like get more, I'm like, okay, this is amazing. So I've been, I've been reading through there cause like, I, I'm not fully sure of like how to start the year yet. Um, cause it, I kind of want to go over like, like how do I introduce, you know, like the like different artistic behaviors and like what that looks like and how to you know um talk about you know like uh playing and experimenting with like work and being okay like something's not finished but also like I guess playing care you know (laughs) like like caring for something and like making it like uh, something that's like worthy of their time to like finish or like sustained investigation and so like just I feel like I still have to figure out how to have those conversations or like structure it so you're not just like day one like here's all the things you need to know um because you know like kids don't need that like they don't (laughs) respond well to you just like lecturing them um about like all the things so I feel like I'm still exploring how to structure it um I have some ideas of like things that have worked already and I want to see just um explored in new ways so like I start each class with my first five um and this way I found like has helped students to like engage with like art history and like contemporary art history. So like each day we've had like a new artist um, and we like get a little bit like one slide of like bio and like where they're from and like when they lived or are living and then one like artwork from the artist and then kids can like pair share and discuss also have some like close looking opportunities and then like sharing as a class. Um, But next year I'm looking at structuring it more student directed. And so kind of starting off the year with students 
by doing their own research on finding these artists and sharing them um, with me. And then when we do our first five, having students be the presenters and sharing the artists that they've discovered. And hopefully um, I'll have enough space for students to like, if they discover more artists like throughout the year, like can, can put them in and they can share multiple times. Um, so I'm excited about like that and trying out how that's going to work and look. Um, just kind of handing over the reins of like, I'm the teacher to like, we're all learners. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know, I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, I feel like I'm still like trying to find my feet of like, how do you introduce centers and like, how do you open things up and not have like a mad dash of like the toilet paper rolls, you know, like, like everyone wants to use like India ink now. And then like all of a sudden there's not enough India ink. I don't know. So I, I feel like I'm still like exploring and like researching, um, but like, I'm also like excited and like have ideas. So like thinking about like this first five, what I can change or, um, I like how you mentioned kind of like the layout of your class time. So like doing teacher instructed time, like a demo or something, and then going into studio time, clean up and then sharing at the end. Um, I feel like that sharing has been, I've been exploring that more. Um, and it's been cool seeing how students like they just naturally want to share. And so having a little more structure around that's um, going to be exciting. Um, and hopefully like really useful for them. So I think I'm excited about a bunch of stuff, but the the plan again isn't like, I'm not fully sure how it's gonna like start. So I'm hoping that like through some research and chatting with Abby <laughs> some more yeah. can have a plan as I get closer to the beginning of next year. Yeah, I, so the, the structure of what I use, I borrowed from studio thinking. So it's if you or anybody out there wants to read up more about kind of structuring and then working along with the studio habits of mind, I found it works really well for me and how I think about what I want my students to be able to do. Um, but you can either read the books on studio thinking. Um, and for K through eight, there's a really great book um, called Studio Thinking from the Start, which I, it's like one of my favorites to use when I'm thinking about my own curriculum. But you can also go on their website too. They have um, studiothinking.org, which is another great resource. There's all kinds of ways that people approach things in their resource section. So highly recommend to check, like summer stuff, like summer reading, I would check out those, mm -hmm. those books. Aside, uh, aside from the obviously essential engaging learners, I would check out those other ones because I think they're very helpful when you're thinking about structuring a program. Sweet. Yeah. And I have those, I have those for you too, Parker. <laughs> I, I think of course she does. Have, <laughs> I already I, give I think this. I have the video thinking um, book. I think I just picked up at NAEA. So mm -hmm. I, have, I have one book <laughs> plus <laughs> the multitudes for Maddie. <laughs> I've, I've just been doing so much research. I have them all. Um, I found like when I was teaching uh, elementary a lot, it was, I would do like a, we'd start with like drawing and we would do like, you know, four to six weeks on the drawing center and 
we would in, you know demo different materials and we try different things out and once we could show that we could care for it well we would open painting you know we would we wouldn't need as much time for that and then we would once we could show that we could take care of drawing and painting then we would open paper sculpture and then those three for me stayed open all the time and then for my sanity other ones would come and go on a time basis so like i could not do clay all semester that's just not how my brain works and so those weren't always like clay wasn't always available to be like all right here's the timeline for it but here's you know like here's when you're not gonna have it so um that's when i was elementary that was my and sculpture only came out like for a while with like all of the extra thing things because like my brain couldn't i didn't have a space in my room to like keep that out not you know all the time and so sometimes it depends again on your context and space on how that works um do you have questions for us um i did have a question on like documentation and like assessment um specifically for like if students want to take stuff home right away um because like currently i have like a online um digital portfolios for each kid where it's it's been nice for me because like i have that digital record um as well as for parents because if something doesn't make it home which i'm hoping is going to change next year because like this year like i'm realizing like oh yeah the kid doesn't care about this project because like it wasn't their idea like and some kids like just take it home because like they want to put it on their fridge you know but like like there's a lot of a number of kids who are just like what do i do with this now i'm like I don't know and they just like throw it away and so i'm like okay that's gonna change um but like if kids want to take stuff home right away like how how do you go about like documenting it assessing it like for their like portfolios or do you like set restrictions on like hey you can't take stuff home right away i don't know with middle schoolers if they want to take it home, I try to let it go because if I even hold on to it for a week, they are like mm. either like mm, I don't want it anymore or they forget they made it. Sometimes, um, I right now because I I really loved seesaw, but it became like a pay by school, not pay by teacher setup. And so, um, I, what I currently do is I keep a Google slide deck open for each class. And as they finish a project, they just make a new slide in the slide deck and put their name on it, take a picture of it, write a sentence about it. And they do a paper rubric that, that gets turned in separately for me that addresses our standards. So they just um, mark where they were on the proficiency scale for their standards. And that's how I do it with the junior high right now. I mean, I've tried, I have like had so many different assessment strategies mm -hmm. over the years. Um, there's like a million ways to do it and a lot of it depends on what you're grading like if your proficiencies are tied to your grades or if they're separate from your grades or like how much you want for documentation how much do you actually need um mm -hmm. you know before chromebooks i hardly documented anything mm -hmm. i was thinking which is why i hadn't said anything right away i'm trying to do something this year with my third graders where we're trying digital portfolios because we're a Google district and um, they don't have access to their drive and such K through two, but they do starting in third grade. So I've been trying to do that with them, but I've found coming to the end of the year that I don't like the 
having to use have the technology there all the time like i had plenty of technology the last few years because of the pandemic i i'm i would be all set if i never had to use a computer in my classroom again but i was trying it because i thought that it would be a good way to document the work but then as i was thinking about it they are creatures where it's like they're in the moment right and if they don't take it home and they don't love it right then and there then they might lose interest in it because that's just how kids are so what i've been trying to think of and this is more of what i care about as an art teacher i care more about their ability to develop their process than the product so i'm trying to think of ways moving forward that i might be able to document that mm-hmm. rather than the the end product which of course there will be end products that you could photograph i'm mm-hmm. more curious in documenting how they're working through the process as a as a teacher um so i'm not there yet um mm-hmm. but i'm i think i'm getting closer to what i want for them and i think with my fifth graders i might be trying to do more sketchbook based stuff i think third and fourth are i i i think they're still personally in the like i just got this idea because i passed something on the way to art class sort of mentality but my fifth graders i think as they go off to the middle school are going to first of all need more of that you know planning and the the that ideation but i think they're also more capable of it and they want more of that so i'm thinking there might be like two ways to combat documentation but i don't see either one of them being focused on photographing student art all the time personally that's just my own thought on it i i don't know if i'm going to change i might change my mind next year i might be like well that didn't work but i mean you won't know unless you kind of give it a try yeah um Dale Zalmstra down in, um, she's retired now. She was in Cherry Creek down in Colorado. She had like three ring binders and these like long skinny, like bookmark almost kind of thing. And it was like, every time a kid went to a new center, they like, like reflected on their learning. And there was like three spaces. Mm-hmm. And so like once they had completed like three different learnings, I'm summarizing, it's been a few years since I've seen these. Um, they like once they'd completed those, you'd kind of be certified in that area kind of thing. And you could like use that more often or with less mm. like supervision for that area, but it would also help her track where students were spending their time kind of thing. Mm. And I guess, I mean, a lot of times when I have students want to take stuff and they're not ready to document it or they don't have their Chromebook ready, I just pull my phone out and I just take a picture mm. with them. And they're, you know, I'll take usually a picture with them in it. So I remember who it is. And then like an up close of them holding it. And I just have like, a, you know, I pay for extra storage on my phone, but I have so many pictures that I'm so glad that I just captured in the moment. And then they took home because they're excited about them right then. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then, you know, like, I, and then I guess my, you know, like do, you know, who am I proving it to? Like very mm-hmm. rarely has a parent been like, I want to see my kids. St- I, you know, I've had mm. digital portfolio stuff available during parent-teacher conferences if I don't have student work there. But for the most part, especially when I taught elementary, I would see like two parents a year <laughs> during mm. parent-teacher conferences. So it was, and you know, my ad, my administration, you know, occasionally they'd want to see something around a formal observation. But the reality is I 
recording most of my stuff for me, you know, and just because I had yeah. fun with it. Like what things are fun that kids want to share, you know, and if they mm -hmm. know that you're willing to take a picture of them with their artwork, kids will come up and want to do that. Another thing I've seen is like, maybe it's not so much of like a, a documentation process, but a show was mm -hmm. like students, I had a show it off board. And so students could rotate their own artwork in and out of this board, mm. you know, kind of thing. And if, if yeah. kid, lots of kids wanted to put it up, then it was like, hey, you can put it up for, you know, one to two weeks and it has to come down. So there's more space for the next kid. But kids mm. would self curate their own show in the classroom. And I found that it fed ideas to other classes because they would see something on one board. Like <laughs> mine aren't toilet paper tubes right now. My kids are using all of the insides of all of the uh, paper towel holders. So like all of the extra paper towels in my school have been ripped off their rolls if they've only got a little bit left because my kids, one kid decided to make a rain stick. And so now I have like seven kids making rain sticks. I'm out of nails and we've been like writing the, the industrial arts teachers nail collection lately <laughs> kind of thing. And like, and so they've been just, you know, one kid has an idea and they all do it, but it's one of those things like one kid made it, he left it on my desk <laughs> dangerously. Right. And so kids in different classes picked it up and like, oh, we could make these. And so it's a conversation because the studio exists. It's a collaborative studio that sometimes the kids don't even know who the other kid is. It's informing their work. That's kind of an exciting way to um, have them curate their own stuff. Because again, the documentation, if I, if we're put it in a portfolio, who's going to see it? But if we put yeah. it out there for other their peers to see, they don't care what I think. None of the students really care what I think, unless it's for a grade. Like, is it graded? What do you think? Would they care what their peers think? And so if they can mm -hmm. show it to their peers, suddenly it has like importance. And so like how creating a space for audience, I found taking it off digital has been more effective for me. Yeah. I would love to do more with student curation next year. That's one of the mm -hmm. goals I think I want to set for myself and my students. I'm reading a book right now called Exhibiting Student Art by, I think it's David Burton. Yeah, yeah, David Burton. And um, in it, he talks about how the kids are making the art and they're doing having all these ideas, but then almost always it's the art teacher that's arranging them and setting them up. And I do think that what you were saying, Abby, like who, like who are you collecting the evidence for, right? And I think for them to use the space available to them, whether it's like bulletin boards or something in the classroom where they could post their work, um, maybe even come up with a theme. You know, the theme of this show will be blah, blah, blah. And then like kids could create work that then could be displayed or maybe you come up with a different method of display. But I think that would be so much more exciting. And you could show, like people can see that in the schools. Um, as they, if they're visiting or if they're administration or whatever. But I do think Abby brought up a really good point about like, who are you documenting it for? Mm. And I think I was thinking that it was going to be like administrative parents that I'm documenting it for, but really there's not that many people who are like, what are you doing with these portfolios? I mean, I, that I don't think I'm going to do it next year because I, I don't see it as like successful, like in terms of like how many people it's serving, it's not serving as many as I thought. So that's why I'm kind of reassessing and going to go in a different direction. But yeah, that was a good, a good point that Abby brought up too. Cause it's something I, I ask myself all the time, who am I doing this for? Mm -hmm.
yeah. I, I like the questioning too of like the process versus product and like what we're championing, championing, championing. Um, yeah. I don't know. I can't Champ- say it either. I, I can't say the end. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, that word. Um, because like, yeah, when I guess I photographed just like the finished product, right? Like that's what's worthwhile. Like that's what's like mm. I'm saying is most you know, worth my time to document versus like changing that emphasis to the process and how students are engaging with the work and learning because like they learn through that process. Um, so I, I, I thought that was interesting because I haven't thought about like, oh no, I just haven't questioned yeah. that and like what you're just saying just by documenting only the product without sharing the process which is kind of more of like where the assessment you know comes from is like how they're learning i think that's also one an advocacy help. thing so like also like when you have a whole bunch like suddenly like the the, qu- the quality of the work shifts that comes out of your classroom from being school mm-hmm. art style like arthur mm-hmm. effland said there was a school style to art where everything looks like it's like outlined and um, it has a look and so mm-hmm when you move away from that and art starts to look more authentic kid, people in your community might be like, what the heck, you know, your school administrator, like, so sometimes having those process statements or process pictures to accompany it Mm -hmm. helps the transition to your school to realize this is a more authentic student-based, student-driven thing. And so that's also an advocacy piece when you start to make shifts that are noticeable to your colleagues. And sometimes they have a hardest time, have the harder time because they're like oh my students used to make this beautiful stuff and now what are they making i've actually i've had some significant issues with that in the past that are pretty funny stories but yeah i'm actually thinking next year just in um what you were talking about parker when we were when i was mentioning the process documenting it i'm thinking next year of uh during each unit so i do four units on different i call them artistic domains which i think came from dale zomstra so there's like it did. hands, yeah, hands, head, heart, and community. So within them are studio habits. So I was thinking to document the process. And that's the other challenge with elementary, especially is since you see them so infrequently, you really have to try to minimize the amount of time that you're taking them away from creating art, because in order to work through the process, they need time. So I'm thinking what I might do is a collection of just little three minutes at the end of class, like exit slips, not for every class, but maybe one per unit where they share how they practice using their artistic hands. And then you have documentation of them practicing those habits. They could even respond to sentence starters, or it could be something as simple as that. And for those students who might be struggling with the writing part, they could say it to you and then you could scribe or, you know, there might be a peer that could help them out, but um, they could draw it. I mean, there's a lot of ways I think you could go about doing that, but that's one way I'm thinking of documenting it without technology and mm-hmm. taking a, the smallest amount of time away from what is the most important thing, which is the art making and the working in the studio. So that's just mm-hmm. what I was thinking about that if that's helpful. Yeah, I, I like that exit 
slip idea, um, kind of like the reflection piece. And of course, you were talking earlier about authentic ass assessment. You know, like what is the is it what purpose does this serve? Is it actually meaningful? That's the other conversation I have with myself all the time. Why mm -hmm. am I doing this? Is this necessary? You know, how does this help the student? So, a lot of reflection. Mm -hmm. a lot of reflection. Yeah. yeah. Any other questions you have for us? Um, <laughs> I think that was everything I had written down. So I just appreciated the conversation. I'm like madly taking notes on like, like, oh, you said this, I need to research more. <laughs> so it's a great thing well, we're on a know. podcast, you can listen to us again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I was going to say, and this would be a good segue into kind of closing our episode, but if you you or anyone else who's listening, who's kind of new to TAB and not struggling, but if you have questions, you can absolutely um, navigate to teachingforartisticbehavior.org, which has a lot of resources on it that you could independently explore. Or the other thing that you could do is while you're on that page, you can navigate up to the top right-hand corner. There's a little button that says join our community and that will lead you to Mighty Networks. And Mighty Networks is the virtual platform where many, many, many TAB teachers have gone. And we share all kinds of thoughts and this and that with each other because that's what's wonderful about our community is that everyone's so open to sharing all of the things that are working, not working, because that's how we all get better um, by free sharing of information. So. I would definitely recommend going to there, um, Parker, as well as anyone who thinks they might benefit from it, because I think it's a great resource. Yeah. And I mean, I know Parker's not this person because he is younger than this demographic, but if you are old enough to be on Facebook instead of Instagram, um, there is the Facebook group. And while it's not as active because people have moved to Mighty Networks, um, there is a plethora, I love that word, of information going back to 2012 um, of all the questions that people who have coming, been coming into TAB since 2012 have been asking. And you can search that group as well by topic. And so I think, I mean, of all the, the things that we love about that or not platform, I think groups have been one of the better things. And so I think that is also a massively deep archive of information about topical questions. So. And there are still people who are actively answering questions on there, both on Facebook and in Mighty Networks. We have some really amazing leadership um, who are admins in both of those places. So yeah. um, anything yeah. else anybody thinks might be useful for tab listeners today? Well, or I guess thoughts? I can. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say um, we could share a few of the guests that we're going to have on in the future. Oh, yes. We have a season it, lineup coming we, up. Yeah. Well, we, we don't know what order, but we do know that we're going to have um, a variety of people who are, I think, pretty well known in the, the tab circle. So we will ha be having um, Ellen Winner and Lois Hetland on. Uh, we'll be talking probably about studio thinking and how that relates to tab and vice versa. And no, then we'll I've also some questions. We're also going to be asking them a little bit about Harvard Zero and Arts Propel. 
So some project zero. History. Yeah. So yes, absolutely. Um, and then I believe we're also having Mario. Mario Rosero. Yep. From mm -hmm. NAEA. He's the CEO of from, NAEA. Yes. And George Zucchelli. Yeah. Who is. Yes. Play-based teaching. Exactly. Um, I feel like there's one other too. We have Seymour Simmons coming up in the fall and he, yes, uh, that's true. He has got a lot of research that's been happening around the history of drawing um, in the U S as well as um, some history at mass art. And so um, we have definitely. And so yes. I think we're going to have a live this summer, potentially from the tab Institute. Um, I might yes. crash it just to do it live with Jen. <laughs> Yes, hopefully. So I'll be at I'll be at the Institute and I'm looking forward to that. It's in July. Um, if you want to find out more information, definitely go check it out. I think it's posted on both Facebook and on Mighty Network. So definitely find out more from those platforms about it. I think it's the 17th to the 21st, I want to say in July. So yeah. So yeah. But yeah. We have a very exciting season coming up. So stay tuned. Yeah, and thank you, Parker, for kicking off our season two. We're so yes. excited to actually be at a place where we have a season two. So we're and very excited to have yeah. you, because um, it's so it's reinvigorating to talk to people. We're super excited about the beginning of Tab again. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure and super fun just to hear all the different. Um, I don't know, ideas and practices and yeah just excited to get into it well thank you so much and um thank you to all of our listeners and jen's already talked about mighty networks and yeah happy season two jen thanks so much for coming yeah. parker. yes parker thank you so much for joining us it was a pleasure getting to know you as well likewise until next time, we will see you for our next episode eventually. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great night.